What is up? Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything Nevada athletics, episode 121. My name is Matt Hannafin. I'm here with my host, Isaiah Burroughs. Isaiah, Romeo Dubs, thoughts? Fast. That's all you need to know. All right, guys. See you next week. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about today, including Romeo Dubs, extensively. No, but, you know, big win at Allegiant Stadium Saturday night. And, yeah, we'll definitely get into it. But we also ha- we're also going to be talking about the Mountain West announced the regular season formats for baseball, volleyball, and women's soccer last week. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I know football is kind of taking center stage because that's the only sport going on right now. But it's good to see a few other sports, especially those that compete in the fall, being pushed back to the spring now have some scheduled alignments. So it's good to see baseball coming up with a 36-game Mountain West Conference schedule in a double round-robin format taking place over 14 weeks. So that's from February 27th through May 29th. That's awesome. That's really good to see because there was some buzz going around that potentially baseball would have a shortened regular season this year, but that is not the case. So big optimism on that regard. There's three game series scheduled for Saturday, which is a doubleheader, and for Sunday, except for Easter weekend and the final weekend, which will be played on Friday, doubleheader, and Saturday. There's also postseason play. The regular season champion will be the Mountain West's NCAA tournament automatic qualifier, which hopefully, I know Nevada baseball had high expectations last year, didn't really get to show it through the shortened season, but struggled from a record perspective, but showed some improvement. Obviously, we'll get more into that as the season progresses and nears up to it. But uh, switching over to volleyball, a 16-match conference-only schedule taking place over nine weeks from February 5th to April 3rd. Each institution will play six opponents and four opponents twice, which is pretty interesting to see now that there's not much non-conference schedule, but that's another interesting perspective to this all. And just kind of like our classes here at UNR, it'll be kind of a hybrid scheduling format in terms of Nevada athletics. (laughs) So the first seven weeks is going to feature teams facing the same opponent twice in one weekend at one site, and then travel partners will play the final two weeks of the season. And just like baseball, the regular season champion will be the Mountain West's NCAA Tournament Automatic Qualifier. Last but not least, we have women's soccer, which will play a 10-match conference-only schedule in a divisional double round-robin format. That takes place from March 5th to April 11th. Matches are played Friday and Sunday. And a single match will take place on Saturday, April 17th at a campus site between the two division winners to determine the conference's automatic qualifier for the NCAA Tournament. So almost like playoff game to get into the playoffs, which is really cool. So that's good to see some, you know, scheduling and some concrete things going on for spring sports, which is kind of weird to say knowing volleyball and women's soccer typically play during this time of year. But, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty going into this year. And now that football is in the full swing of things, it's really cool to see the best of the sports get some at least some uh, familiarity with what their season is going to be looking like. And I'm excited. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. I definitely am. And obviously, you know, switching over to a different sport, Nevada men's basketball added a pretty impactful player. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Why don't you get into it? So they added – it was kind of like broke the broke the waves. I mean, there was there was uh, talks like the night before, like Ross and tweeted out, like Nevada and like a few other schools were interested in said player, and that player is Addison Patterson. Who was a transfer from Who was a transfer from Oregon, 
And so he was like two weeks ago, he was Dana Altman just announced that he wasn't on the roster. And it was like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? And so then, and he was supposed to be like one of their impactful like guards this year. He's supposed to like step up in a role. I don't necessarily sure if he was supposed to start or not, but he was pretty much just transferring that he wasn't on the roster. And so then there was like talks of like, okay, like Nevada and like a select few like other schools were interested in him. And then a day later, it was like Addison Patterson has committed to Nevada. And I was like, wow, just it was super quick and um, how that broke the news waves. But he was a former four-star recruit, a former top 50 recruit coming out of high school from ESPN and 247 Sports. He he averaged 4.6 points, 1.1 rebounds, and 0.5 assists in 11.1 minutes per game last year. In his second career game, he scored a career high of 17 points versus Boise State. So he's already familiar with the Mountain West in, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, we're going to need him in that regard. <laughs> right. He filled Nevada's final scholarship spot because Jelani Clark didn't enroll in classes and he was a freshman. And so the NCAA allots 13 scholarship positions. Nevada had 13. Clark essentially left after he committed over the summer or in the springtime. And then Patterson just fills that position. So, I mean, you're already getting some experience there in that regard. He has three years of eligibility remaining. He was only a freshman last year. He's likely going to have to sit out this year. Actually, likely. I don't know. He has to sit out this year unless if he gets a waiver from the NCAA. The NCAA has been handing out waivers left and right, so he could potentially get a waiver. I don't know if they will or not. I don't know if he's going to put in for one or what the deal with the situation with that is. But let's say that he gets a waiver next year and he's allowed to play. Nevada will have two juniors, seven sophomores, and four freshmen. That's a really young team. That's really young. And I'm sure we're, we're going to be talking about that more when we do the basketball preview when basketball season comes on the surface. And Nevada also has one senior, Zachary Williams, but I don't know if he's going to get any playing time or anything. It's uh, He certainly wasn't in the rotation last year, but still two juniors, seven sophomores, like two juniors as your most experienced players. Desmond, I mean, we... Desmond Cambridge and Robbie Robinson, who started last year for Nevada seven sophomores and four like that's a really young team i mean we thought last year's team was young and that's given yeah. with nizre zuzwa who was a senior jazz johnson who was also a senior i mean that Lindsay. Lindsay drew and obviously junior jalen harris for going for the draft it looks like our backcourt you know on paper is a bit decimated with their departures but having you know an it addition just, like it just strengthens yeah it. It ha- having an addition like patterson's big and I'm excited to see what he does either this year or next year if he has to sit out. So just something to keep an eye on. Once again, Alford really doing a good job just picking talent when it's available. I think it's going to be so interesting to see what this team's going to be like three or four years from now to really see what his recruiting class is going to be looking like and just picking apart some of the talent. You're already seeing some of it unfold with guys like Kane Milling and Zane Meeks. So just seeing some of his kind of I don't know, his his own little mirage, I would say, or his own little image of what this Nevada basketball program can be like is going to be really cool to see. So looking yeah, forward to he's it. He's building something here and just like watching some film of Patterson over the weekend. He's, he's a six six body. I think I said that already. I'm not sure. He can shoot threes. I mean, he's a good spot-up shooter, and he's good. he was good off the catch and shoot last year. He shot 37% from three, like 56% from the field. He's he's good at attacking the rim. He's strong. He's smart. He could be 
I mean, this is too soon, but he could be a potential, like, really impact player in the Mountain West in the coming years. Oh, most definitely. I mean, just something interesting to keep an eye on. It's Again, it's too soon to tell. No one can really tell yet because, I mean, he hasn't played a minute at the school. But if he does get this waiver, he could be a potential impact player. Yeah, for certain. Now, those were kind of the quick notes on Nevada Athletics as a whole, but... We'll take a break and we'll be right back. We are back. Isaiah, what color is the cannon? Last time I checked, it's blue. And it should stay that way for a while. It is blue. It is blue. For the first time since 2017, Nevada's bringing home the cannon in blue. The Fremont cannon, specifically. Finally. We talked last week about how impactful this win was for Norvell. And you know what? He answered the bell. Huge statement win. I mean, you can't lose that game. You just can't. You can't lose that game if you're Norvell. No. No, and I mean, just coming out with a 37-19 victory over UNLV at Allegiant Stadium. You know, just... We talked about this on the last podcast. Isaiah, they didn't wear the white helmets. And they still lost. They had the UN on the helmets... Were they missing something? I think they were. What were they missing? The L. Yeah, they don't like to Not talk. great. Not don't great. Like to talk about that. No, no. Anyways, for, yeah, for those who missed it, Nevada beat in-state rival UNLV on Saturday night, 37-19, as, I, as Isaiah mentioned. There were a lot of things to take away from this game. First off, before we start, Nevada has started 2-0 for the first time since 2014, and it's best start in conference since 2013. I mean, we talked about this before the podcast. Like, if this is any year to win the conference, this is the year to do it. And to get off to a fast start like we have been. Especially with our schedule. Oh, most definitely. I mean, it's soft. You know, it's kind of soft right now on paper. So to get off to a good start like that before you're facing Hawaii on the road or SDSU at home later on in the schedule, it's just big. So there's a good chance we go 3-0, and which we will touch on. You know, for this Later week's this preview week, yeah. against Utah State. But there's a good chance this year we can really start the year out 3-0 and and have three statement wins on our schedule just to start things out. So I guess the biggest thing that we could take away from this game was Romeo Dubs, dude. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The strong Dubs connection. Was electric. wild. Wild. Even, like, on some of those incompletions where Strong almost hit him. It was just wild. And... I mean, Dubs had six catches for 211 yards, although there was a stat correction at the end of the game that said seven for 219, but, like, every single box score ever had six for 211. Either way, pretty good. Real good. Career-high 211 or 219 receiving yards and a score. And I don't know about you, just watching the game, it seemed like Strong had all the faith in the world just throwing that thing up to him. Right off the jump. First play of the game, Strong hits Dubs for 36-yard pass it was like oh we're getting off to this again set the tone you talked about it last week need for explosive plays and how explosive plays could help us win this game and immediately off the bat Nevada had an explosive play oh most definitely and there's no one more explosive right now or it looks to be more explosive right now than dubs I mean he's just blazing fast the way he gets off the line of scrimmage 
it's just ridiculous. And what he's doing after the catch in a lot of aspects is so impressive as well. It just seems those strong in the rest of this receiving core in general are just humming and just clicking on all cylinders right now. And that's why you're seeing points being put up in a hurry and stabilizing the offense this you know, this time around. I thought one of the improvements most definitely was more consistent over both halves. You know, you saw week one against Wyoming, the offense just kind of slowed down during the second half and Strong said post game, that's not going to happen from here on out. And he made it that way. And credit to the coaching staff, credit to, you know, offensive coordinator Matt Mummy, Norvell and Strong just being able to always keep their foot on the gas pedal, like you mentioned, and not even give UNLV a real chance to get into this game at some points and translated to a big win over an in-state rival much needed I didn't even mention the Dubs touchdown but we'll get to that in a little bit he almost had a couple but Strong completed 27 or 21 of 27 passes for 350 yards and two touchdowns not as good as his week one performance but it's again we talked about it it's hard to replicate that he still looked really good throughout the game that's a spectacular performance oh no question about it Toa Tao was back after missing the first game for undisclosed reasons. He had 12 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. That was really nice to see. Devontae Lee even had four carries for 45 yards and a touchdown out of the backfield. And you mentioned it last week. The presence of the run game can really open up this offense. And you saw it Saturday night when you have Toa Tao and Devontae Lee toting the rock like they did. It really does open up the rest of the offense because when Strong's making big plays and just chucking the ball downfield, always keeping the defense on their heels. Secondary has to back up. The rest of the front seven has to play kind of back as well. And that just leaves so many holes for running game and just things underneath that Strong really took advantage of throughout the night. Right. So, they averaged, or Lee and Tawa combined averaged over eight yards a carry. I mean, if you can get that combined with what this passing game is doing right now, that is a real one-two punch. That's something you can't really stop. And like you said, Toa Tower looked really good. He did He did look really good. Broke off a few double-digit runs. You know, looked good. Looked a little shiftier than usual. I don't know if he's... Right, yeah. As you talked about it, it opens things up for the ground game if you spread things out. And there were times where he was getting just, like, chunks of 8, 9, 10, 15, 20. I mean, it didn't happen, like, all throughout the game. But he was still getting chunks of yards, at least a lot more than he did at some points last year. Man, I know he had a couple triple-digit rushing games last year, but still... No, he just looks fluid, you know. Mm -hmm. Being that your first game back, I was not expecting some of the jukes and some of the ways he'd shed off tacklers that early on. And to have Devontae Lee bring that thump Mm -hmm. at any time, it doesn't always have to be the goal line. I think he's starting to showcase that. He can really just be a physical presence at any point in Nevada's offense. So having those two guys back healthy is very key because we didn't see Devontae Lee for how many games last year? First the first, he, he, I think he missed the first four and came back the fifth. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's... Because he came, he came back versus Hawaii. I think that was the fifth game of the season. That was the fifth game of the season, though. So just having those two back, if you can have them healthy for a full season, it shows just how impactful that offense can be and how advanced and how comfortable Strong's looking in the passing game. It's really fun to see right now, and it's coming off a win like that over UNLV. Right. A dominant statement victory to retain the cannon. You can't ask for much better from the offense at that standpoint. No, the offense has looked like one of the best in the Mountain West Conference. It, and it's objectively speaking at this point. Right. Like, this, it, we're isn't, not, this isn't like a new thing. Like, I'm, I'm not saying they're the best because, I mean, you 
could argue like Boise, Boise State. Boise yeah. State probably a machine. Argue. Even without absolutely Hayden a machine. Bachmeyer last week, like right, still a machine. Right. So we're starting to develop. You know, we're starting to put up numbers. And we're up there with the top of the Mountain West Conference. We may not be San the Diego yet. State's been another very efficient offense. Boise State, San Diego State. But yeah. then you, how many more names can you get to before you mention Nevada? Because that's, I would, I would, I would put Nevada right in that same tier. And to be in that same tier, because we haven't, we haven't been mentioned in that name offensively for quite some time. You know, our offense has been struggling in so many aspects for years now. So to see, you know, these types of performances and seeing the offense put up these numbers on a consistent basis is huge and it's been really fun to see and there's so much room for more growth and improvement not just for this year but for two or three years down the road as long as strong is under center and that's really really interesting to see just to see how much this core can improve and really grow as a unit we're still one of the youngest you know on paper and in terms of a unit but we have some of the most experienced in the conference so it's just kind of cool to see all of it kind of translate, I would say, just putting into an on-field product that is worthwhile and is kind of must-watch TV at this point because you never know when you're going to miss a 52-yard bomb to Romeo Dubs or some sort of big play that can really change the tides, I would say. Must-watch TV, though, that's bold. I mean, for a Mountain Must game, sure, but rather watch. Yeah, I was a little bold. Now that I think about it, maybe <laughs> not must-watch TV, but anytime they're on national television and you see Nevada at who, oh, maybe take a quick peek Yeah, because you never know. Of course, we're only in week two, and we may, be t- we may be getting too ahead of ourselves here, but Nevada-San Diego State, a few weeks, week five. Should be a big one. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Especially the way we're starting the year off. I wish we – I mean, of course, you can't in these circumstances, but I wish there was a full crowd from Mackey that would be able to show up for that game. That game would be so much fun to go to, at least on paper right now. Yeah, I mean, anything can happen within these next few weeks. But right as of right now, that San Diego, San Diego State game better be circled on every single calendar. That atmosphere would be pumping, and oh, I'm yeah. really hoping we could at least see some select fans come into Mackey come week five. So, you know, we may see it this week mm-hmm. against Utah State. So hopefully, there's some optimism there. But I don't think. San, has San, President Sandoval announced it yet? Nothing yet. Okay. And Sisolak, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Governor Sisolak. Well, Sisolak, well, I mean, he said like the 10% capacity, but Sandoval was the one that was like, no, we're not going to have fans for at least week one. That could change. We don't know yet. As of right now, there's nothing out yet. And going back to the game, just because of how dominant Romeo Dubs is shouldn't overshadow how good Justin Lockhart and Cole Turner were. Turner had four catches for 72 yards. He had a couple of chunk plays of 20, 25-yard catches. Um, Lockhart was really good. He had six catches for 36 and a touchdown on a four-yard touchdown on a back shoulder pass, which was great throw and catch by Strong to Lockhart. But I was going to say that catch by Lockhart was quite impressive just to, you know, trying to get off that defensive back jam and really turn his shoulders and to make a play on the ball at that moment. Really impressive catch, and he showed it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Strong threw – once again, he was spreading the wealth a little bit through to eight different receivers. And hitting eight different receivers, when you have a player who's going off for 200-plus yards, this is still a pretty impressive feat. Keeps the defense on its toes, doesn't right. it? Right, it keeps him honest. And I thought that's one of the things that was so impressive with Strong was he really kind of broke the game loose with some of his big arm, with his big arm and making those big plays, but he really did take what the defense gave him in a lot of ways, lots of underneath throws, just letting his receivers do the work after the catch and that proved to be effective. That's just something that 
another element and another shade of growth from Strong and what he's been able to do these past two games. And it's been very impressive thus far. In two games, of course, small sample size, but we can only go off the sample size that we currently have. Strong has completed over 75% of his passes for over 750 yards passing with six touchdowns. And he's not throwing into double coverage and being lucky. Like he's He's been pinpoint everywhere he's gone. He's looked super comfortable, as we've talked about. He's just looked incredible, and he's stepping up in the pocket. He's going through his progressions, accuracy at all three levels of the field. He's just looked really good. Yeah, he's looked so much more comfortable, and you could tell he really put the work in this offseason to just improve in every aspect Massive of Massive improvement thus far. He's averaged, I think, close to 10 yards per attempt after averaging 6.2 last year. Yeah, a lot of last year was dink and dunk and not really trying to find that offensive rhythm this year. It's kind of the opposite. It's big plays, and then we'll start stretching the defense out and really you know, finding holes underneath and everything in that nature. So just seeing that type of growth and improvement from him has been so impressive up to this point. And who says he can't carry this throughout the full season because he's been spectacular. He and no discredit to anyone else in the conference. He's just been amazing thus far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like as Bachmeyer was good in week one, Jack Sears was good in week two. Starkel was just the Mountain West player of the week after throwing for 467 and five. And so there's been really good performances, but Strong's up there for a Mountain West player of the year candidate. Almost definitely. Through two weeks. Yeah. I mean, your week one overreaction has only solidified its case. (laughs) Right, yeah. Maybe that, maybe, maybe. You have to stop to play the games. Yeah, you never know. There's six games left. A lot can happen, like you said. So not trying to get ahead of ourselves. Just We're going off the the sample size that we have now. And you know what that sample size showed? Dominance. We were better than UNLV. Correct. That's great. It's a factual take. It is. Isaiah, do you want to hear a fun fact? Let me hear it. Nevada was the first ever collegiate team to score points and touchdown in the Legion Stadium. I mean, People you, down south don't want to talk about it. You hate to see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that cannon stays blue for a little while. Hey, still got, I mean, of course the schedule hasn't been announced, but 365 days maybe. Yeah. Hey, there's always next year UNLV. At least, right? I mean, right. <laughs> go go into UNLV. They looked pretty good. Yeah, on to their Saturday. Credit. Yeah, to their credit, after horrendous showing against San Diego State, who's arguably the best defense in the conference, at least they've shown they are through two weeks. They looked really good, and I mean, Nevada stills Nevada's defense still putting pieces together. Still something to be desired there. But Gilliam throughout the game was impressive to me. He completed twenty-seven to forty passes for two hundred seven yards and two touchdowns. He was killing Nevada with his legs at least in some stints, where he would get out of the pocket on medium down and distance, and he would get a first down. And yeah, I mean, he got sacked a couple times. That's, That's UNLV's line hasn't been great through these first two weeks. They were better this last week, but he's, he looked really solid. The chuck wagon. The chuck wagon. I still can't. The announcer said that like a billion times. Even we said it on last week's pod. It's just such an incredible nickname. He was... He had 19 carries for 99 yards. He didn't get in the end zone, surprisingly, and he was one short of his 10th ever 100-yard game. Yeah, I mean, a balanced attack on that approach, right? Gilliam, like you said, to his credit, made some plays, especially outside the pocket. Whenever the pocket would collapse, he wasn't afraid to just move to his right and just find some holes. Or to his left, yeah. Oh, for that matter, yeah, the pickup on uh, that third and sixth for the first down was pretty big and everything in that nature. And so with that point coming into effect... I thought he did a good job, you know, just making plays under pressure in a lot of aspects. And the chuck wagon, 
was pretty good. Yeah. He had his he had his fair share and I think overall though the Nevada defense did once again just a good job of containing some of the best parts of their opponent's offense. You saw it last week or week 1 with Valaday, you see it this week with Williams and just keeping at least that part of the offense at bay is just enough to help this offense continue to put up points on the board and continue to make plays and Nevada, once again, got into the backfield a few times with a few sacks from Don Peterson and Sam Hanmond. Just really impressive showings on their part. They're continuing their success from last year. So Ture has first crew sack. Just more pressure up front is going to bust more pipes for the opposing team's offense, and it's going to be really interesting to see. So I think this is another step in the right direction defensively for us, and let's just hope we can carry this throughout the rest of the year because we know what this offense is capable of when it's clicking – we haven't seen the peak of what this defense is capable of at this point. And Nevada had a strong start to the game, too, as we talked about before. They It was a strong start, but we couldn't finish with six. If there was a few incompletions when we were close to the end zone. It just forced a field goal. UNLV got off to a much better start. They were driving down the field. They forced a field goal. And then Nevada comes out on the second drive. They get down to, I think, inside the red zone. Uh, a pass, a 28-yard touchdown was called back on a pass interference, and then another penalty put Nevada back in their own territory on the 47, and then Strong just launches this 52-yard bomb to Dubs. Nevada punches in with Devontae Lee for six, and so then it was 10-3 Nevada. And then on Nevada's ensuing drive, first play of the drive, 65-yard bomb to Dubs. I mean, it was an, an incredible throw by Strong, an incredible catch by Dubs, untouched to the house. See you later. It was 17-6. Felt that way, though. I You're mean, right. That's, that's what happens when you uncork a 65-yard bomb on the first play. That's some Kansas City Chiefs stuff right there. Right. And then the, I think there was time later in the second quarter where, like, Strong barely overthrew Dubs again for what would have been a 50-yard touchdown. Like, pinpoint, but barely missed him. And you mentioned it. Dubs, not only could he have had multiple touchdowns, he could have been sniffing 300 yards receiving. He Close, was. yeah. He was on the brink of a couple 40-plus-yard catches, once mm-hmm. again, as if he didn't show it enough throughout the whole night. But he was on – like, that's how strong that con- – wow, don't mean to be punny, but that's how potent that connection's been between strong and dubs to this point. And just big plays, massive, massive gains for our offense. And Yeah, and you know, the second-to-last drive of the half, they drove down to the goal line. Nevada forced a fourth-and-goal situation in what would be many fourth-down tries for UNLV. They converted, made it 17-12, and then Strunk connected with Lockhart on a four-yard touchdown, put it 24-12 heading into half. Nevada had all the momentum going into the half, and they started out well, and they could have had a bigger lead coming out of half. I mean, not coming out of half, but in the second half, like their first possession, they drove all the way down. They got to the one, I believe. They got a false start calling them. Plus, Strong got sacked, forced a field goal, and it was kind of didn't suck the air out, but it was okay. Like, is the momentum starting to shift here? And that's when UNLV started to put together their long drives and all these fourth down conversions. UNLV went five for six on fourth down. It felt like 20 for 20. They just couldn't be like in whatever situation. It was four down territory all the time. And credit for Marcus Arroyo for doing that because not every coach does that. Some Sometimes they would force forfeit the ball, and UNLV put together like two or three six-minute drives. and Nevada's defense was on the field for a long time in that second half. Yeah, and you could tell they were looking kind of gassed, especially up front, and that's where Gilliam really took advantage with his legs to pick up some more yardage and just making plays once again. And 
You just mentioned nickel and diming it yep. down the field. Yep, and sometimes that's all it takes is to get back into a game when you're leaving points on the board knowing you can have seven, but you settle for three. That's all it takes sometimes just to get back into a game and you string together a couple of long drives. All of a sudden, it's a little bit closer than anticipated. Right, because it was 24-12, Talton kicks the field goal, 27-12, and then you know V drives down the field on like 100 plays. Not really, but... <laughs> Felt like it. Yeah, it was, yeah, 14 plays, 86 yards down the field in six and a half minutes, makes it 27 19. It's like, okay, it's entering the fourth quarter. This could be a ball game. It went from Nevada has all the momentum in the first half to, oh, this is getting close and this could be another like Nevada sweat fest. Oh my gosh. Yeah. After what happened week one, don't think we really wanted to do that. But I think, I don't think Nevada wanted that either. No. Statement in the fourth quarter. And they came out with a statement in the fourth quarter to really put this game away so that's right yeah heading into the fourth they started picking up more and more yards and or they were in the red zone and then Tao gets his touchdown his first touchdown of the year almost got bottled in the backfield but some nice jukes and moves hey we've been saying he's looking shifty right, right. that was on display right oh yeah there. and so then that makes it 34 19 UNLV still fighting credit to them they're still battling they're still putting together drives but after many of fourth down conversions on that drive, they failed to convert. Only so much left in the bottle, or at least so much magic left in the bottle. Yeah, and so. it was the, the only fourth down conversion that they didn't convert, or the only non-fourth down conversion was the fourth and 12. It was on a broken play because Gilliam botched the snap in the backfield, had to pick it up, scramble, and then threw it over someone's head. Like, it wasn't even close. UNLV even converted on a fourth and seven. It was... It just felt epic, inevitable. Epic levels of, like, insane. Like, what is happening? The defense just looked gassed and was tired and was not looking great, but, they, hey, they persevered. Yeah, credit to them. I mean, they put up a fight. I know Nevada pulled away in that fourth quarter to make the score look, you know, us covering that 14-and-a-half-point spread we had going into it. But Was it 14-and-a-half? I, when I checked ESPN, okay. right before the game, it, was, it got up to 14-and-a-half. Wow. So. Credit to them, because mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a much closer game. And on paper, it doesn't look that way, because Nevada did hold a pretty large advantage. But UNLV made it close, and this is going to be a rivalry that will continue, obviously, for years and years. And Arroyo's bringing in some really good—they're one of the top recruiting classes in the Mountain West. I'm interested to see how just different this program's going to look just a few it's years a re- down. It's a rebuilding year. It's going to be, like, don't sleep on UNLV. I know we give them some jabs here and there because, you know, they're our little brother down south and, you know, they don't match. We have the cannon. We have the cannon. They don't match with us in basketball and a lot of aspects, but to their credit. No, at least, I mean, they used to match with us in basketball. In the 90s. I mean, they were the best team in the nation in the 90s. Switching back to the football side of things, Arroyo's going to put some pieces together and don't sleep on this program right now because... They fight, and Arroyo's going to institute some more talent into... It might be a rough 2020, but they're going to be a good program in the coming years. So this rivalry is going to be closer in a lot of aspects. I'm looking forward to it. But for right now, we're going to take this dub, and we're (laughs) going to keep this cannon blue for as long as we can. Romeo Dub's taking the dub. It's what he does. Ooh. (laughs) Not trying to rhyme on here. I'm sorry. Anyways, yeah, I mean, we touched upon just how impactful this win was for Novell and Nevada going into it, and they played like it just from the get-go offensively and defensively to set the pace and to set the tone of the game. Nevada, offensively, they 
for part for most part of the game. They brought a lot of pressure, but something I talked to you and Austin about, Austin about before the year is they're doing a lot of like double a gap. They're bringing a lot of trying to bring a lot of pressure up the middle, and sometimes that's forced quarterbacks out of the pocket. But I'm waiting to see if we face a when we face a non mobile quarterback how that's going to be. That's a good aspect to bring up. I didn't really think about that. That's a good point because if you know, because those... it's like Levi Williams and Gilliam, they hurt us with their legs for some portion of the games that they played against us. Yeah, if you're able to keep another quarterback in the pocket like that, it'll be it'll make things a lot more difficult. So that's something to truly keep an eye on and really see if our defense can build upon that. Especially because we keep touching upon it, just how inexperienced the linebacking core is and how we need to generate more pressure up front. I think we've seen some signs of it this year, especially late in games when plays need to be made. And I think we've done a good job of that to this point. Just need to string together some more consistency. And something else I realized when I was doing the rewatch of this game, EJ Muhammad's playing a lot in the slot, which is interesting to me because usually you would think of EJ Muhammad and, of course, Robbins on the outside, but it was like they've been mixing in like AJ King who's a freshman on the outside. And that, that was just something that like caught my eye that I didn't really catch when I was watching during the game. Yeah, that's another great point on your, on your end. I mean, just seeing some of the growth and just some of the experimentation on defense. I mean, if this is the year to do it, because we have just a lot of new faces on that side of the football, just to see what they're able to do in certain situations, throw them in the fire in a lot of ways. And you can learn as a coaching staff if they're able to put up or shut up at that moment. I mean, that'd be something to take And away. something else I want to touch on, I I, I uh, tweeted this during the game, but Nevada was running a lot of eye formation or a lot more eye formation than I would expect to. I mean, that was, like, really interesting. Like, the first play of the game, the pass to Dubs, it was full back in the backfield eye formation. It was like, this is not something that we really utilize that much. We've usually just gone, like, the air pistol or, like, a shotgun, like, four wide. Like, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. They did, they did it three out of the first, like, four plays of the game. That's really interesting. We were like, is this Paul Christ or is this Matt Mummy? <laughs> look at like Wisconsin. Yeah, like look at like Wisconsin. But then you see Strong throw it 40 yards down the field like every other pass when it was like, oh, okay. Never. There it is. There's the air raid. We yeah. know and love. <laughs> no, that is kind of interesting, though, at, as uh, you mentioned. Toa Tau was going to turn into like Jonathan Taylor or something. <laughs> I was like, what? Real, real quick. <laughs> 250 plus yards on the ground, another 86 through the air. And I liked that wrinkle and I mean they did it on the goal line a few times and they were using the eye formation and going under center instead of going through the wildcat and I mean play calling is play calling every coach has their different philosophy but I like Nevada using these different 10 11 12 personnel groups or like 22 or whatever to kind of like divvy up their offense and just give the defense different looks yeah this is a new element that you touched upon with this eye formation I think it could be really effective in the goal line because I think we talked about it last week. Some of the deficiencies with the Wildcat is obviously when you're taking that snap, you're starting, you know, three to four yards behind the line of scrimmage and you already need to push it in there for the score. So why not just get up front, get to the ball as quickly as you can and make the most of the yardage you already need to score. The I formation does that. And it was just really interesting to see that wrinkle, like you said, in that offense for them to really take advantage of it. So something to keep an eye on once again and just to see if that can be some form of our offense. Are they trying to develop strong for the pros? They like versatility. I remember one thing. I don't thing. know. I actually, like, 
I don't think that has any like thing to do with what they're doing at all whatsoever, but just a thought. No, I mean, it's so interesting how important taking snaps under center is for some scouts and NFL teams. I remember when the Rams traded up for the number one pick in the 2016 draft between Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. And one of the primary concerns with Jared Goff was, number one, his hands, and number two, his lack of development and reps under center. And I remember when the Rams drafted Jared Goff, number one overall, they just completely, like, had him do snaps under center all training camp long, all through OTAs, just to get used to it. So, yeah, I mean, having that kind of experience under center can really help. Because we haven't seen that with him much at all, at least in this system. No, not at all. So... No, I'm not trying to say it'll be like, oh, we're trying to – he's a redshirt sophomore. I'm not trying to say, like, prep him for the NFL. It's just interesting because I know, you know, taking the ball under center is important no matter what offense you're in. So to see that come from the air raid system is cool. Props yeah. to Matt Mummy because he's doing a great job Right, yeah. It's, it's different than, like, the Mike Leach or Cliff Kingsbury college air raid offense that you're used to. It's it's a lot more varied air pistol or air, air pistol raining from, like, Chris, the Chris Alt, the Brian Pullian, like Eric, mostly Chris Alt, but Brian Pullian inherited that. Then Norvell took that kind of offensive philosophy and they're implementing passing game more, obviously. And they're doing a bunch of different looks. And I just, like, I could just caught my eye because that was not something I was used to. No. I don't hate it at all, but it's just. No, that's something, just a, an observation. And it could really be something we can build upon going forward, just snippets of it. So overall, a. Really nice win. Needed it. We got it. And that's, you know, on to Utah State. Yeah. Anyways, Isaiah, do you have any more thoughts? No, I think we touched upon it. I mean, another another week, another win. Let's rack them up as much as we can throughout this early stage of the season. So big things ahead. I'm looking forward to it. Week two, only week two, fourth of the, fourth of the season's done. Isn't that weird? Yeah, Think about it's that. It's weird. Fourth of the season. We've gross. been We've been through two weeks and a fourth of the season has been done. Gross. Very gross. Yeah. Let's hope some postseason, you know, bowl games can really start turning Hopefully out. a potential Mountain West Conference championship title. I don't know. I don't know. You still got to play the games. Two weeks in. I mean, like you said, this team's looking dangerous and... We're not done. Not a big sample size, and oh, you could argue ever. the quality of opponents that we played. Wyoming looked like themselves last week, but still, I mean, still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, a lot more to improve upon. You know, last week there was a lot of penalties that killed us. This week was fourth down conversions. It's one aspect to just really hone in on. And If I, this offense could keep doing like it's doing, nearly 500 yards of offense for the second consecutive week, if we can continue to build upon that. I mean, build upon that in the sense to just like, Keep it consistently going. It's dangerous, like you said. And that's from a statistical perspective. I mean, two weeks in, you can't have a much better start offensively to the year. And coming out 2-0, and on to Utah State. We'll have Utah State preview coming out on Thursday. Reminder, Utah State and Nevada play on Thursday this week at 4 p.m. at Mackey Stadium on FS1. Thank you for listening. Of course, we always thank you for listening to this podcast. We put a lot of work into it. Thank you so much for the support and we hope you have a good week.